people of Adland. Do you know how many listeners you can reach by advertising on a Muddy Knees Media podcast? Loads! Every single episode of Galazzo alone is listened to by nearly 100,000 of those hard-to-reach 25 to 44-year-old men. But we do plenty more shows than that now. We've got The Offside Rule with Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen. We've got The Offside Rule WSL Edition, the UK's premier women's football podcast. We've got Series Linked, a podcast that's dripping with celebrities. And then there's the rest of the Totally Football Network, which includes the very lovely thetotallyfootballshow.com. If you'd like to talk about advertising with Muddy Knees Media, drop us a line on sales at muddykneesmedia.com. That's sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And listeners, don't keep the show to yourself. Leave us a review, rate us, share it with your friends, and subscribe wherever you listen to the rest of your podcasts and never miss an episode. Never mind the billions, it's the Lucarelli story. The curious case of the commie centre forward who rocked Calcio. The goals, the clenched fists, the anti-Berlusconi bandanas. It's all here on this Golazzo. Cristiano Lucarelli there with the now famous phrase from the book You Can Keep Your Billion. There are players who buy themselves a Ferrari or a yacht. Me, I bought myself a jersey with Livorno. Here to talk about the man, the legend, we've got Gabriele Marcotti. Great to be with you. And also James Horncastle. Hi, James. Hi to you both. Hey, Lucarelli, there's loads of myths and legends about this man, but without doubt, one of the more colourful careers that we've seen of late in City are. I think for someone who didn't win anything major, um, has kind of transcended uh, not only Livorno, but Italian football as well. He's a name that is known uh, for the cause he stood for, the city he comes from. I remember here in 2007, there was a forum at UCL, which mm. they essentially invited him over to be a speaker um, to, to the... I think the Italian department there. But it was open to everyone and they mm. had to turn people away. University uh, College London, yeah, indeed so. Uh, that Very much the, the height of his fame, the time when he was, he was leaving Livorno for Ukraine. A man, Gab, who loved the Livorno jersey so much that he physically made love to it. Yes, one of the more extraordinary goal celebrations you're going to see when they're scoring, he runs over to the sideline. And I can't remember if... He had an extra jersey with him, or he actually removed his jersey. I believe he had an additional. He removed his jersey, oh, I think, yeah. Yes, and then... Did he uh, put it back on again afterwards, or did it remain Monica Lewinsky-esque? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you ever came, if you ever that got was to Vaseline. completion. But, <laughs> um, but yes, he went sort of missionary style on the, on the jersey. He, he threw it on the ground and, uh, and demonstrated for everybody just how strong his attachment to the Amaranto was uh, Livorno such a big part of the Lucarelli story and probably to understand the man we need to understand the city that the English call Leghorn a tutte le carte in regola per essere un artista detesta lavorare intorno a un parassita Livorno's finest, Piero Ciampi, there with Delicate in Regola per essere un artista. We need to do a little aside here for those of us who are not Anglo and we're not, <laughs> did not enjoy fancy educations. Okay. <laughs> I need to understand 
why, for example, Marseille, you yes. like randomly add an S at the end, yeah. Lyon Leons. as well. <laughs> All right. What the hell with Leghorn? What, what, where does this, what is the genesis of this? Well, Gab, according to research, the name Leghorn derives from the Genoese name Ligorna. So there you go. So it used to be called Ligorna? By the Genovese, yeah. So why and don't they so just focus really, on naming their own towns? I, rather I, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, Livorno, or if you prefer, Gab uh, uh, Leghorn, uh, a blue-collar port town in the uh, unfashionable end of the Tuscan coast, birthplace of the Italian Communist Party, and the Tifosi of A.S. Livorno, among the more left-leaning you'll find anywhere, yes? Yeah, but Livorno, there's a wonderful, I mean, depending on your point of view, there's a wonderful history there because there's sort of three components, three political components to this. Because yes, Livorno is the birthplace of the Communist Party. It also has, I think, the third largest Jewish community in Italy after, I believe, Rome and Ferrara. Being a port, there's been a lot of people in and out. There's also a big Italian Navy base, yeah. and in particular, certain types in the Navy who, shall we say, are more camerati than compagni. Mm -hmm. In other words, they like military and order and are a little bit at the other end of the political spectrum. And in fact, one of the legendary nights in Livorno is, you know, sailors come back, they go to a bar, and the bar. they bump into <laughs> left-wing people. Maybe we're talking far left. But there's another element to Livorno, which has popped up in films over the years, and it's, it's very real. Livorno is also where the biggest anarchist community in Italy is. And there was a whole history of, of anarchists, followers of Bakunin, the 19th century Russian, Russian intellectuals. And those people obviously reject, obviously they reject fascism on the right, they reject capitalism, they certainly reject communism, collectivism, any of this stuff. So, while in most normal places, you know, growing up, the split is between right and left, in Livorno, it's between left and anarchists. So it is one of the biggest anarchist contingents out there, even to this day. If, if you go in, you know, in, into the schools and young people grew up there, there are a lot of people who legitimately buy into this. I mean, the Curva was always, and particularly, I think, it, as, as the 90s wore on and things became a bit right-wing elsewhere, this was a... a Something of an island, politically speaking, you'd have Che Guevara, Banners, you even had, there was a Joseph Stalin one on his anniversary, a massive uh, portrait of Joseph Stalin, which is kind of unusual to see at a, a football stadium. What, what they hadn't had at the Armando Piki uh, Stadium though, for, for years, in fact, since the 1940s, top flight football. was top flight football, but local lad Cristiano Lucarelli changed all of that but eventually the, eventually right okay so yeah it was a it was a long road from leaving Livorno as a youth to finally being able to return there as a player and it featured even a, a trip to Spain Gab not just to Spain but where he'd be in Spain under the orders of future Premier League winner the miracle man the dream maker Claudio Ranieri who didn't actually want him uh, it's one of those bizarre things where Ranieri's second season, all of a sudden in one fell swoop, while the club didn't have any money, there was a director of football there who liked doing a lot of business with certain agents in Italy, always the same people, weirdly enough, and in one fell swoop, they got Cristiano Lucarelli, uh, Stefano Fiore, mm -hmm. another cult hero, oh, yeah. Di Vaio there. Marco Di Vaio, 
And Amadeo Carboni would already have been there. Carboni was already there. In mm. fact, some people might even say Carboni would later become director of football, might have already been director of football, right. the first player director of football at the time. And part of the assumption, I mean... Before Roberto Mancini. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but from, from, from what I've been told, it was almost like, okay, we can get all these guys relatively cheap. So, I mean, certainly in the case of, of Di Vaio and Fiore, if you remember, Lazio had bought Gaisca Mendieta for <laughs> a million, bazillion, trillion, quadrillion lira. And then Lazio's like, oh, sorry, we don't have any money. Here, take these guys in part exchange, thereby totally overvaluing them. And then the same people who did that deal and got a commission out of it says, oh, by the way, Lucarelli's at Atalanta. Nobody likes him there because they look at him as like a big oaf. But look, he was all right before. And plus, Claudio's Italian, so surely he can make it work with him. <laughs> mm. So he gets this guy, and look, there is a history of big, tall, powerful, not overly technically gifted strikers succeeding in in Spain. But let's just say Cristiano Lucarelli, not one of them. All right. Not a good match for okay, one. Okay, so th he returns to Italy and uh, winds up at uh, Torino in Serie A. Yeah, and he doesn't have a particularly good spell there. He's there for two years and doesn't really live up to the expectation, I suppose, that he set when he was playing for Lecce in right. Serie A. Um, when they think he's fat. They think he's fat, uh, but I think what transpires in the course of that second season is Livorno, they've got into Serie A B. Well, yeah, but so the way they get out, so, so his first season there, the end of that, Livorno, his hometown club, are in the third division, and they have a crucial promotion game away at Treviso, and Lucarelli turns up in the curva with all the away fans, and when the, 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 the final whistle blows and they've won promotion, who's that running onto the pitch and celebrating wildly? It's Cristiano Lucarelli, who's busy missing a game with Torino because he's declared himself uh, not fit. So this is the thing. And when they, when they get into Serie B, it's clear that his head is very much in Livorno. He goes and watches them whenever he can. And as it looks like um, they're going to get into the second division, it's clear he wants to be with them in the second division. And so... Torino get relegated, and rather than stick around, he's like, well, my team's in City of B now as well. I'd like to go and play there, and takes a pay cut to go there. And at the uh, unveiling, I think there are maybe, what, 7,000 people there. He breaks down in tears when he gets given a shirt, and the reason why he, he wears the number 99, not only because it's kind of an unusual number, but it's one that's associated with the, what is it, Brigate Autonomo Livorno. Yeah. Um, so but this is this is essentially the whole you can keep the billion business that he says to Torino, I will tear up my contract, I will renounce half a million euros, uh, essentially take a pay cut of half a million euros, which is which was about a billion lira at the time, mm. because some people would spend that on the yacht, on the Ferrari, whatever, nice Ferrari. It's worth it to me to do that to be able to finally play in Livorno Amaranto. Okay, people who don't like Lucarelli, and I'm not one of them, might also go back and say, yeah, you had one year left. You were coming off, off a season in which you scored just one goal in uh, 26 Serie A appearances. The reality is you would have spent another year at Torino, basically not playing or playing badly, in a hostile environment where nobody liked you. By letting you go, by ripping up that contract, you could sign a multi-year deal in Livorno, or Leghorn, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which I think is true to a point, right. 
But I, I'm kind of against that. What he then does when he arrives at Livorno suggests that this was anything but a cynical ploy to uh, eke out well, a career. It certainly his, was it. His career explodes at Livorno. So first of all, when he arrives there, he goes, great, I'm going to team up with Igor Protti. Is this true, the story that Protti had decided? Igor Protti was a, a legend and definitely deserving of a Golazzi episode later. Still the only player to have won the Capocannoniere despite playing for a team that would also go down. Incredible. One of the nicest people. also win it in three different divisions. Three different right. divisions, same as Hoopner, yeah. And, uh, we, I mean, we spoke to him on, on back in the day on, on Channel 4, and one of the nicest people around, really. It was so down to earth. Anyway, Protti was very much the man back then, uh, scoring the goals for Livorno in Serie B, but had decided to retire at the end of that season in which Lucarelli joined. So Lucarelli calls him up on the phone and says, come on, come back. We can do it. We can make the push for Serie A. And Protti says yes. Uh, and they take Serie B by storm, scoring 51 goals between the two of them. And, and Lucarelli himself, there were 29 of those in 38 matches. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, sensational. Um, if you look back at that team, Giorgio Chiellini, young Giorgio, was at the back for them. A left back, playing yeah. left back, no less. And Walter Mazzari was the coach. And so you know that Chiellini, back when you're wondering, well, wait, Chiellini playing left back? How did he get up and down and whipping crosses and beat opponents? Like, Mazzari was the coach. It was a back four. You know that he just sat and was an extra center back. And you look at the mythology around Cristiano Lucarelli and his brother Alessandro, but they said one of the things that would really annoy them when they were growing up was, you know, Livorno tended to be the second team of their school friends. Right. Um, you know, they'd be Milan fans first and Livorno second. Um, Never and, another Tuscan team, I imagine. That. Well, no, no, though, but Livorno has... I mean, one of the things is in Italy you've got, as you guys know, outside of sort of the top 10 or 12 teams, you've got you have these absolutely vicious local rivalries that it's to do with what we usually call campanilismo, with the idea that, like, every town has its own uh, clock tower, uh, or bell tower, rather. So you're fiercely loyal and you hate the people in the next village. And obviously... Brescia Atalanta is a great example of this. I mean, there's so many, right? But specifically, one of the worst ones is Pisa Livorno, yeah. which is weird. And, and, and it's funny because some people have brought it up and, and sort of couched it in infrastructural terms and what happens because, you know, again, um, Livorno has the port. But then Pisa has the airport because most people go to Tuscany because because Florence Airport is about the size of the studio that we're don't we're, tell, don't mention Florence every, Airport to James yeah. yeah you've had well but Pisa <laughs> is a more reasonable airport right right yeah so it creates this whole thing about you know who's important obviously they were both Italy in the 1600s had the Repubblica Marinare mm -hmm. the the uh, Marine Republics and mm -hmm. obviously uh, you know it dates back to that so you've got this incredible absurd rivalry. A legend in Livorno is is Luther Blissett, um, because even though Blissett had a torrid time, Pisa sent down. he sent Pisa down. Right. No, it, you joke about it, but also what it you know the the book that Luther Blissett gets annoyed about when you bring it up right. because yeah. he says he guess he doesn't get the joke. But the author of the, the what is it called O or whatever? It's Q, is it? Q. It's it's all about anarchism. Mm. And the anarchists in Livorno 
their hero is Luther Blissett. Well, at least they, they use his name as a... Right, but yes. As a, as a kind of way of kind of avoiding copyright. I am Spartacus and exactly, whatever. Yeah. It is, it's that kind of situation. But right. they specifically use his name right. as well. And not just in Livorno, but it originated there, did it? Well, I don't know if it originated there. Okay, but because no. basically any kind of anarchist project, certainly in the 90s, would always carry the name Luther Blissett as the author across Italy. Mm. There's a weird thing. But also, in, in, in Livorno, there is, there is um, I think, the, the main square, there is a statue there, which is the... Um, <laughs> well, pretty much, no, it's the Monumento dei Quattro Mori, okay. so of the four moors, and he is the fifth moor. Okay. It's not the most politically correct way of looking at it, but that's how they see him. Anyway. He doesn't like it, by the way. He really, <laughs> really does not like no. it that, you know, he's become a hero to anarchists worldwide. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Livorno with Lucarelli and uh, the legendary Igor Protti up top. They get promotion to Serie A. First time since the 40s, 55 years they've been waiting. Promotion won with a 3-1 victory away at Piacenza. Lucarelli with tears in his eyes, scores and then, as we mentioned, throws his jersey down and gives it a right all going over. As they fly back, they're greeted by 10,000 Livorno fans at 4 a.m. Lucarelli tells a story about um, the night before the game against Piacenza. They're in a hotel just on the outskirts, um, and it's overlooking the motorway. And they can just see just convoy after convoy of Livorno fans coming to, to watch that, that wow. game, um, which... I mean, there are other playoff games throughout their history, you know, be it trying to get into Serie B for the main part, which they, they get to the final game and they blow it. And he seems to think that, you know, seeing how much it meant to these people, the hundreds and thousands, he wanted to turn these tears, these tears of kind of pain, as opposed to tears of joy. Nice. He did Very it. nice. And what joy, because finally they're in the big time. Finally, they'd be able to face the man they'd been insulting for years, Silvio Berlusconi and his Milan side. It's 2004. Fellow Tuscan Marco Massini has just won San Remo up the coast with Luomo Volanti and Livorno have won promotion. And most people think they're probably about to go straight back down. And guess who they draw as their first game of the new campaign? They draw Silvio Berlusconi's Milan. And this is relevant because, remember I said before about sort of the three souls of Livorno, um, sort of a far-right fascistic soul, the anarchist soul, and obviously the communist soul. One thing they all have in common is a rejection of sort of the putrid, gutless consumerism <laughs> that Silvio Berlusconi stood for in their eyes. Right. So they could all... I mean, they could all really, really rally behind their hatred of Berlusconi. On top of that, there was another element to, to Berlusconi, which I'm guessing, certainly more than James, you're probably qualified to discuss. <laughs> Is this the hair transplant business? Yes. Okay, so ba they've been insulting him for years. They used to regularly get fines for seeing Berlusconi pezza di merda at the stadium. And they also felt that their group of ultras, there'd be crackdowns on them, and they felt that they were being targeted. Because of the criticism of Berlusconi. Well, yeah, there's this amazing quote from Lucarelli uh, later on, actually, um, 
when they finally up in, in Syria when he says that they want to send us back down to B because of political reasons. They're going to make us go down because our uh, curva is, is a left-leaning curve. Uh, last year, there were four sets of fans who used to fly Che Guevara flags, and they all got sent down. This year, it's going to be our turn. Not a, not a man who believed in keeping politics out of sport. He also said to claim scoring against Berlusconi doesn't mean more would be as silly as saying football is just a sport. So anyway, there they are. They're going to take on Milan, owned by Silvio Berlusconi, the, the vehicle, if you like, that Berlusconi had ridden uh, on his route into politics. And Berlusconi... Going into that game, they're the champions, Milan. Their, their lineup is ridiculous. Ancelotti's the manager. You've got Cafu, you've got Maldini, Nesta, Ricochta's there, Pippo Inzaghi, Shevchenko, Asadov, Pirlo, and Kakar all on their roster, most of whom are on the field that day as, as Livorno come to town. To greet them is about 11,000 Livorno fans who've made the journey up in innumerable coaches, uh, most of them sporting these bandanas saying, Silvio, we're coming. The bandana, a reference to Gabriele. To the fact that, as I learned from our friend Raf Honigstein, <laughs> when, um, basically, when you get a hair transplant, and Berlusconi, by being a dashing man, unfortunately, uh, was follically challenged at, at that stage of his life, effectively, they go, and I suppose they literally plant the hair follicles. So it looks like a little forest on your right. head with, with the little sort of saplings coming out. Yeah, Pippo Baudo is the, the, the classic example of this. But Berlusconi, which I don't think ever took really poor chap, all the money... Well, he's, he's got he's, that kind of paint job now. Yeah, right. Good now, but though. back then, back then, what he'd, uh, he was photographed uh, hosting some event with, with Tony Blair. And this is the Prime Minister of Italy who's in his second stint at the time. And he's well, he would have been in his 60s at that point. He's wearing this bandana. He would have been 70, I think. Even. I think in 1936 he was born. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And he wears, and he wears he's a... He's wearing a bandana. With Sherry Blair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, and this, I it, mean, this became... It's the, even worse than a bandana. Okay. If you wear a bandana, which I occasionally do, there's only one way to wear it, which is to go... The Axel Rose style? Well, you go when you tie it properly, right? right. He's wearing it Little Steven style. <laughs> which, <he's, laughs> which Little Steven gets away with because he's Little Steven. He's wearing a do-rag is what he's wearing. Okay. Except he calls it a bandana. Right. And he's just completely absurd and he looks ridiculous. But obviously because he's surrounded by fawning admirers and he's still such a handsome, fascinating, seductive man, nobody ever told him that you look absolutely ridiculous. You should wear like a Panama hat or something more suited so, 11th dignified. of September, 2004, Livorno, and all, with all their fans there in bandanas, turn up at San Siro, ready, presumably, to get hammered by Champions of Italy, but at least to have some fun at Silvio's expense. Instead, though, what happens is Clarence Seedorf opens the scoring after about two minutes, but seven minutes later, Livorno earned a penalty and upsteps Lucarelli. Lucarelli. Cristian Lucarelli, 1-1. Second half, Zadorf again puts Milan ahead. But again, Livorno come back. And it is again, Lucarelli. Lucarelli sul pallone. Va Cristiano! Lucarelli! Sei gol al Milan in tre partite. Not a bad way to start your Serie A campaign. A campaign which saw him score 24 goals and finished top scorer ahead of the likes of Adriano and Shevchenko. And I think he would have won the European Golden Boot had he not missed the penalty Ooh. right at the end of the season. Was it final day against Messina? Didn't he score like eight goals in his last three games and weren't they playing yeah. like, you play like a relegated team? And 
he just kept shooting from everywhere and like what are you he was four, he yep. was four goals behind Sheva going into the last three games I think so yeah so he did have a good run at the end but that can happen Gab I have no idea what you're referencing in terms of strange results at the end of a season involving lots of goals Livorno by the way also beat Milan that season at the Armando Picchi which was uh, which was quite a day he got a call up at the end of that season for the national team which was a real rarity in fact in his entire career he only had six caps and I think he, certainly a lot of people, put that down to what happened when he made his under-21 debut for the Azuri. Uh, yes. Again, this kind of uh, is very much part of the Lucarelli legend um, because he scored a hat-trick, did he, against Moldova? It's at the Armando Picky. It's at the Picky. I don't know if he... Does he get a hat-trick that day? Um, well, certainly in one of his under-21 okay, games. Okay, I think this game he, he just scores one. He does. But it's he, his debut, essentially. He, he scores. Lovely assist from a young Francesco Totti, mm. who puts him through. And uh, as he just dinks it over the keeper, he then runs, jumps on the advertising hoardings, pulls off his Italy shirt, and what's he got? He's got a Che Guevara T-shirt on. He, at the time, apparently didn't know who Che Guevara was. No. It was a T-shirt that, it was one that was made by the Ultras, and it, it referenced them, and it had Che Guevara, who was their idol on it. But afterwards, he then bought Che Guevara's um, books his, and his, read about him, and he became an inspiration. dad says to him, listen, if you're going to wear things, if you're going to be interested, so uh, go and read his books, and then he, he does. But So that was after he'd shown the T-shirt. Yeah, but I mean, th- th- what's amazing, you mentioned this game happens at the Armando Picchi. Mm. And he scores, and he, he he jumps over the advertising hoardings, and then he's he's jumping up and down, and the entire stand is jumping up and down with him. It's not something you see at Italy games, I don't think. It felt quite South American, or something you'd see at Napoli, where you know the, the players are jumping up and down, and the fans are, uh, are reacting with them. It was a really kind of unusual atmosphere for a, what was an Italy under twenty one game, but mm. still for for him to score in that location. And in front of those fans, it, it didn't really feel like it was a, a national team game, I suppose. Fair. But he got a lot of flack um, for that. That This was his moment in the spotlight, which apparently he was aware of. He knew it would be on Rai Due or Rai Sport or whatever. And should he really be popularising, not Che Guevara, but the ultras well, he said it was national a, team? A way to get the whole country talking about Livorno. And, the, and, and they said yeah, where about sure. Lucarelli as well. Yeah, it's also... A political symbol, mm. Che Guevara, which they do have rules about this. And this is something that always gets brought up because not just that, but also he didn't do this every game, but in many games he did what the legendary, was it De Paula, used to do? And oh, there were others before him. Yeah. But before the game, when the players line up, he would do the raised fist salute. And after a goal as well. Um, after a goal, you can kind of, I mean, you could argue that, you know, Alan Shearer did it too in his own way. Right. Closed fist, not open fist. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the closed fist has obviously certain very strong connotations uh, in Italy, and a lot of people of a right wing persuasion, like maybe a former West Ham striker, <laughs> did kind of make the point. Well, you're talking about political gestures. Right. This guy does it every single week. Mm. He wasn't the only one. Uh, what's his name? Did it too. Uh, remember Zampagna? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zampagna. At, at Atalanta, yeah. There's something about sort of big burly target men. Look at it, to be fair to him, said that he was entirely on Di Canio's side when Di Canio was fined. Yeah, for the for, same reason. And I, th- I think Lucarelli was fined for the raised fist, but a much, uh, a, a, a much heavier well, fine was inflicted. But it's also because a raised fist is a political gesture. Right. But it's not illegal in Italy. Right. What a Roman salute 
there is a, an actual crime on the books in Italy called Apologia del Fascismo, which mm. is sort of a it's a roundabout, very fluid way of saying, like, you know, bringing back fascism or doing stuff to promote fascism, which Paolo was later charged under. So that's the reason why they came harder, I mean, in my opinion, why they came down harder on Di Canio than that. But people have tried to create an equivalency between the two. And I do think it's a credit to, to Lucarelli, who, who views it as, like, why do we pretend that, you know, politics doesn't exist? Why can't we go and express ourselves and depending where you stand of course if you're a centrist you might say well maybe because tens of millions of people died because of the nonsense on at either end of the spectrum and maybe that's why you shouldn't do it but you know that's just if you're a centrist right four seasons now corbett on the other hand <laughs> four seasons lucarelli stays at livorno in that spell 101 goals in 161 games and, and then he took the billion and then he took the video. But then he then he makes this move. There's a lot of conflict with the owner, Aldo Spinelli. Yes. I mean former Genoa owner, right? Yeah. Former Genoa owner, likes to wear yellow puffer jackets. Um, very superstitious man. In fact the reason he got rid of uh, Alessandro Lucarelli is because he was just like I don't like the cut of your jib. I think you bring misfortune yeah, upon this club, so get gone. So Alessandro being Cristiano's brother, who we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more later on because he's a pretty interesting character himself. Spinelli would famously, before every match, he used to have this routine where he would go and he would eat lunch at a motorway rest stop. Here you have, you know, a very wealthy man, like, being driven and going over to the counter. It was always the same one, which then created an issue for him because when the fans turned on him, they knew exactly where he was going to be two hours before kickoff of every home game. He I mean, it's a... quite interesting that Gav referenced the rivalry between Pisa and Livorno but, and Conitani very superstitious as well, famously, would, you know, sort of walk around the pitch before games, spreading salt and stuff, right. you know. Glad it was just sore. <laughs> so Spinelli had tried to get rid of a bunch of managers at, at Livorno and, and faced kind of open insurrection from the team on uh, countless occasions. Uh, Daniele Arigoni was the, the example in March 2007, and that's when Lucarelli and Spinelli kind of definitively fell well, out. Uh, we should also mention that Donadoni, was it his first job, Livorno? Um, and he he took them to sixth place. Mm. They got into the Euro, uh, still the UEFA Cup back then. Yeah. Um, but they sacked him in February of that year because he Spinelli went on La Sette or something like that and just basically laid into him, criticised him. And Donadoni, who a very dignified man, was like, you know, I'm not going to take that. Um, you could have said that to me in private, but the fact that you went and did it in public, I'm gone. And his next job was the Italy job. Donadoni, by the way, you can have your own opinions about him as a coach, but he is a class act in a world of phonies. He's very real. That's why he's in China now. There you well, go. But you know, <laughs> he's got God no, on his side, and he's got the saints and apostles back. I'm with you on that, Gab. Like, I mean, when he... I think he, he resigned as Italy manager after Euro 2008. Because Donadoni couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and, you know, as often happens, I think this happened with Giampiero Ventura... Yeah, he got to a tournament unlike Ventura, and uh, his contract analogy between <laughs> Ventura and Donadoni. His, his contract automatically extended, I think, for a couple of years, um, and he left. He said, "I'm not going to take that money. I'll leave it on the table." That's keep the, the billion. Keep the billion. Yeah. Yeah, like an old friend of mine said, <laughs> "Keep the billion." And with that, Donadoni was gone. Anyway, so 2007, uh, Lucarelli. He's fallen out with the fans a bit as well, strangely. 
they were strange times, 2007, in, in Syria. And he, he makes this move to Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, where they were managed by Maciej Luchescu. It's a big money move as well. Well, it's also ideological. I mean, obviously, was Donetsk, Donetsk in the Donbass region, pits. right? Very stacking off. You <laughs> down know, the pits. Of... Yes, that's right. Industrial. Yeah. It's the Donbass, which is obviously very close to Mother Russia, right. which she always had an affinity with. Right, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I think he went there to... Out of solidarity with the people of Donbass. Out of solidarity with the millions of of, of, uh, Ukrainian currency that ended up in his account. It was a big money move. This is quite interesting that the appeal... Krivna, by the way. (laughs) Krivna. You just used the word (laughs) currency. (laughs) (laughs) The appeal that Lucarelli had outside of Italy, the biggest offers he ever had, was one which he turned down, which was to go to Zenit, St. Petersburg, Mm. and the other was with the one that he accepted was with with Shakhtar. So he it's clear that his political leanings right. made right. him particularly marketable in uh yeah Felicia you don't know this. I mean you mentioned the picture of Stalin before. There's certain parts of Italy that grew up after the war and obviously Italy was very polarized between the Catholic Church and the Communist Party on the on the one side and in the 50s and 60s, there were entire villages, and this is wonderfully, there, there's a series of films in Italy, you guys might have seen, the Don Camillo, based on the books, mm, the books like, like, no, yeah. but what, the stuff with, like, for example, like, where, where my family's from, on my dad's side, there are people who, you know, are now in their 60s. Are who's the Tansies? What? No. No, no, no it's, the, <laughs> it's the Marcotti family. Um, there are people whose names, none of my relatives, thankfully, are actually Stalino or Lenino. Sometimes as a middle name, Ivan. Um, there's a ton of Ivan. Yuri, yeah. and Yuri, Yuri Keki, for example. Mm-hmm. There was sort of this this Sovietophilia back then in in that part of the world, and there's also places where you know there's a social club uh, in the village that my my dad's family is from had a portrait portrait of Lenin, fine, but they also had a big portrait of Stalin when I was a kid. They've taken it down now for mm. obvious reasons. You've also got neighborhoods in Livorno called Shanghai. Right. Yeah. Korea. But there there not, were also not, statues of Stalin in some of these villages, which just seems absurd and odd today. But, you know, in the 50s and 60s, there was this polarization. There was this distrust of mainstream media telling you Stalin's bad. Like, no, how can he be bad? You know, he's a communist. He must be good. Anyway, Shakhtar, for whatever reasons, he goes. He comes back fairly swiftly. Scored four goals in 12 and uh, goes to Parma. He has one season back at Livorno and then he finishes off his career in Naples where he, he wins the only trophy of his career at Coppa Italia. But he barely played. Mm. Uh, I, I seem to recall that was the another Mazzari. That was with Walter, yeah. And, um, yeah, Mazzari did a lot of favours for the uh, Lucarellis given he you know, took them from place to place. Um, but that was the original Napoli of the three tenors, Ezekiel, Lavezzi, Hamsik, and Cavani. Nice. nice. So he didn't play much. Before he made his move to Ukraine, one of the singular things about him was that he basically set up a, a paper in Livorno. They already had one regional newspaper. It was like The Athletic before, uh, you know. <laughs> no, but it was, this was a, not a, a football paper. It was a general... It was a it was a, a broadsheet, and uh, they had one already. But he said he felt that it was a good thing for the town to have more than one opinion represented. So he funded and staffed a newspaper, which he shut down. Well, yeah, ten years on, it's not a great business for making money or even remaining profitable. But ten years is a good, a good run. 
they had 10 years. Uh, it is true that there is a little bit of discontent about his behavior when the paper was uh, shut down. A lot of people were, were left out of pocket. And there's one person who's even, there's a whole bunch of uh, fake news, the Cristiano Lucarelli. No? Yeah, they, they, there's a photo of them there with a banner outside the firmly locked and shut up um, premises of the paper. With a, and then the banner says, uh, give him the billion, that way he can pay us. Um, but you know what? I mean, I, I think that <laughs> I don't know his side of the story, and I, I can imagine. I think it was a pretty noble thing to set up in the first place, a, a regional paper. And it speaks to a guy who, wherever his political inclinations lay, was very much a public spirited person, had a deep connection yeah. with his community and a desire to give as much as possible to the Yeah, community. and to do it also in a public way. I mean, th there is a whole history of, of people like that. Um, one of them I saw last week, actually, uh, Damiano Tomasi. Mm. And he comes from a different, slightly different political persuasion. And obviously there's, there's religious impacts and, and stuff in that. But there are a lot of people who, who've done stuff like this in Italy, who, who feel that, you know, you're a public figure. You can also do, you know, some good and something other than just cutting a check uh, to a foundation and then inviting the media around so you can talk about how excited you are to be able to contribute to buy glasses for children or whatever it is you do. I was always struck by Damiano Tomasi, one of the big things, I know we're talking about, not him, but Lucarelli, but for example, one of his charities is, is uh, battered women's shelters. And one of his big beliefs is that writing a check is important, raising money is very important, but you should, wherever possible, actively participate. So every year he spends a week volunteering in this battered women's shelter and he encourages others who donate to the charity or, or raise money to go and, and do this as well. So there is this sort of very hands-on sense among certain footballers. Right. Italy. His brother Alessandro Lucarelli, who played with him for a long time at Livorno and then went to, to Parma, is similarly warm-hearted, generous. He famously, when Palmer went to the war, when was that, 2015? Mm -hmm. And they were sent all the way down to Serie D. He was the only player who stayed with them, despite being one of the bigger names in in the team. He, he stayed with them and, and essentially brought them back on that incredible run uh, from City of The team to ever have three back-to-back -back promotions. And didn't he kind of pay for the laundry and pay for minibuses? And, and, and possibly he not wasn't the, the only... Other senior players were still there. This was when that, that awful, awful man, Tommaso, what was his name? Girardi. Girardi, the guy who looked like a cartoon character with a stupid round face, who then later... <laughs> Shamefully came back with Cellino. Yeah, um, Brescia. But he's gone now, right? Yeah. Well, right. maybe he's in the background. This guy really represents the worst of the worst. Um, I was trying to think of like the absolute worst ever, like people in Italian football. I think he's in the top 10 easily. Okay. But, but he basically, it's not just the accumulated debts, he took like reimbursements, he took money out. Basically, the club had no money and they were playing in Serie A to the point that, you know, they were shutting off the lights, they, they couldn't charter buses well, to the go. The bailiffs came. Bailiffs came, yeah, and took everything. And took he, the gym gear, took the benches in the dressing rooms. There was no hot water in the showers. So a number of senior players, led by Lucarelli, who, who really was the main figure, but also included Hernan Crespo as well, mm -hmm. and ex-players as well, so they sort of chipped in to basically go and help cover some of the costs so they could finish the season. But then there was no escaping getting relegated, and he stayed with them and, as you mentioned, brought them all the way back. But... Uh, well, but, I think what's remarkable about these two brothers is they didn't play 
you could say Cristiano played for Napoli and Valencia and um, Shakhtar. Yeah, they're big clubs, but they, the two of them aren't associated um, with what you'd call traditional elite clubs. They're, they're associated with Livorno and Parma, and they are both seen as maybe not the best players in their history, but certainly the ones that have the most significance with, with fans. And I think for Alessandro Lucarelli, who is also from Livorno, is the younger brother of Cristiano, he only played one year with Livorno. Um, to become an all-time legend at Padma, and Cristiano said this at his uh, brother's book launch, that you look at the last 30 years at Padma, all the players that they've had, all the managers that they've had, for this guy to essentially be... I mean, Alessandro Lucarelli will never have to buy a meal or a drink in Parma again for standing by them um, and doing the right thing by the club. And, you know, I mean, again, you talk to their manager at the moment, Roberto Davesa, who says, I, I can't think um, of anyone in the game who has gone out in as good a way as Alessandro Lucarelli did, which was the team gets relegated to Serie D, they get promoted to C, G, B, and A, and he walks away when he's got them back where he felt they belong. Um, it's hard to compete with that, really. I mean, these guys are class acts, and I think the reason they resonate is that actually, as we mentioned before, taking from the other end of the political spectrum, Paolo Di Cagno, a lot of footballers talk about taking pay cuts to go back to the club that right. they support and they love. Which Di Cagno did to go back to Lazio. Which did to go back yeah. to Lazio. Very few people actually put their money and their time where their mouth is. And whatever else you think about the Lucarelli brothers, each in his own way, and Di Cagno at the other end, they did this. And I think that this is the kind of stuff that, that fans really latch onto. Well, in summary, then, a man who lived his boyhood dream and helped his neighbours do the same in the process and took the mick out of Berlusconi at the same time. Very good. We'll play out with a bit more of the wonderful Piero Ciampi and the very appropriate Tutte le carte in regola. For now, from Gabriele and James and myself, it's Arrivederci. been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. 